coming up on the 32nd edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017. We catch up with Fremantle coach Michelle Cowan, former Victorian footballer, now comedian Bobby McCumber, USW Eastern Stingrays footballer Nicola Ferenczes, plus our state leagues wrap with Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson and Alison Schiller. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 32nd episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season of doing these podcasts. And a friendly reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings from about 6pm on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And talking about RSN Carnival, that's the home of our VFR Women's Live Broadcast and we're bringing you a semi-finals doubleheader this Sunday from 10am at Piranha Park, Coburg City Oval. We're on air at 10 for the one-hour pre-game show. At 11am, it's the first bounce of the minor semi-final between Melbourne University and St Kilda Sharks. And then at 1pm, it's the major semi-final between the Darabin Falcons and Diamond Creek. So join us on RSN Carnival or via the RSN Racing and Sport app this Sunday for the VFL Women's Semi-Finals doubleheader. To the first of our interviews, over the weekend we had the first ever AFLW Origin match. It was a close first quarter, and after that, the Big V ran away and completely smashed the Allies. We do have on the phone Fremantle coach, and she was assistant coach for the Allies on the day, a friend of ours here at Girls Play Footy in Michelle Coward. Michelle, thanks for joining us. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Well, it was the first ever State of Origin. It was an interesting first quarter, and then it, it kind of went a bit one-sided from there. Fr- from your view in the coach's box, Michelle, I guess, what happened? Yeah, look, I think we were really happy with our, our start to the game and, and the first 10 minutes. And and then um, certainly I thought Victoria played exceptionally well and um, played an exciting brand of footy and, and really played an elite brand of footy. And, um, yeah, it ran, ran over the top of us, but... Um, you know, credit to them. I thought they played a really solid four quarters, and like I said, I thought we started well. Um, but yeah, they um, they were too strong. Looking at the tail of the tape in the team stats, it shows that the Victorians are dominated contested possessions 157 to 99, and the tackle count 68 to 54. In this type of situation, because it is an exhibition game, you can't really give someone a paint pillar to try and pull the finger out and be more aggressive. What can you do as as an assistant coach to try and get them into the game when they're being dominated like this? Yeah, I guess you want them to play to their strengths and get that group together and want to fast-track their um, building of that relationship and, and playing as a united team. But these girls are all really talented. And so, yeah, what we do ask is, you know, understand what your strengths are and, and let's play to them. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right there. They dominated in contested possession. And, and for us to not win the tackle count when we didn't have a lot of the footy um, is pretty disappointing. But, um, you know, they, they did play really well and, and exceptionally elite midfield and Carney and... Blackburn and, and Judd and, and also Daisy Pierce, who, you know, just across the board, AFLW or the AFL men's game, she's certainly um, one of the best in the business, that's for sure. For you as a Fremantle coach, what lessons can you take away from this game, particularly watching the Victorians, I guess, become more aggressive? Yeah, I think, you know, what we look at is, I guess, the state of game of the VWFL and, and the WA Women's Footy League and SANFL and and the quaffle as well. So, you know, they're, they're all at different stages. I'd love to see a, a uniformed approach to those state leagues where, um, you know, we're, we're all investing, uh, I guess, a lot more time and, and development into those players and, and into that competition as well. And um, getting a little bit more aligned across the, the nation would be fantastic. So AFLW Origin is over. We're about a month and a half away to the draft. What happens for you now from a Fremantle point of view? Yeah, really exciting time. Um, now, uh, you know, it's really getting really busy for us. So we'll have a, have one more final trial on September the 9th, this Saturday, and that's open to everybody. And we've shortlisted that down to about 25 girls. So we've got eight, um, seven more main spots on our list and, and it's still our three rookie spots to fill. So just being really vigilant through that process and, and making sure that we get a really good good fit and, and line up for 2018. 
And talking about the trial day, we've spoken to the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. They've had, obviously, talent trials and rookie trials. Across those days, both clubs have reported something like 400 to 500 uh, expressions of interest. What have those numbers been like for the Dockers? Yeah, very similar and, and certainly, um, you know, but, but we really want to cut it down and, and make sure that on the day we're, we're vigilant with who we're looking at and, and doing a really thorough trial and, and then inviting another, you know, the girls back and maybe it's six girls at a time to come back and, and have a trial as well. And, you know, from there we'll sit down with, with list management and I'm only really a small component of that and, and work through uh, our list and and then we go to draft on October 18 and make sure we um, you know be really aggressive with our drafting and and fill our list. And of course, there has been a little bit of confusion there heading into the draft because, as we know, there's rookie spots, but rookies can be upgraded. Um, and obviously, you've managed to sign Kelly Gibson on the way through as well as a free agent. So, how many spots will uh, the Dockers need to fill when you sit down at the draft table in October? Yeah, certainly no confusion on our end. It's pretty um, basic. We've got seven main spots on our list and, and then our three rookie spots. And, um, yeah, you know, that's what we're looking to fill. And, and I think majority of the teams are around those very similar numbers. They may have, um, you know, six or, or seven on their main main list. And, you know, some clubs do only have the one or two two rookie spots to fill. But, um, yeah, we're, we're all really similar, I think, with the way that our lists are, are looking at the moment. And Michelle, one last one before we let you go. We've obviously had the WAWFL Grand Final recently, Swan Districts being Coastal Titans. A couple of new teams are flying up the ladder in that competition, including Claremont making a run and uh, finishing fourth. Uh, have you been happy with the quality of football in the WAWFL and particularly new rising stars that we've never seen before? Yeah, like, like I said before, we, we need to make sure that we continue to develop the second tier talent and this um, the, the state league competition. So whilst we've got Swan Districts and, and Coastal Titans and East Fremantle and, and you know, Claremont did play, uh, certainly have improved and, and playing a lot better, we want to get those other teams up and being really competitive in these competitions. So we'd love to see the, you know, Peel Thunderbirds really competitive and South Fremantle and um, West Perth and Perth and, uh, you know, there's so many other teams whilst, there's, you know, this top-end talent of these teams. We've got to make sure that we get, um, yeah, just a lot more competitive competition because that's really important to our AFLW players that week in, week out, they are challenged. They don't rock up on a Sunday, play a game against a high-quality opposition and then for the next four weeks um, aren't really, really challenged, I guess. So we want, we just want the whole entire competition um, to be really competitive and that way we're going to grow some talent and, um, you know, in the future and then we may see the, the growth of the AFLW uh, expansion happen. But in the meantime, we've just got to get that, that tier of um, state leagues right. Well, Michelle, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Uh, have a safe flight and uh, we wish you all the very best when you sit down at the draft table on October 18. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Now, if you love a good footy book, there's a new one currently available. It's called the Women's Footy Almanac 2017. The AFLW season, one game at a time. And it's written by the fans, for the fans. And it's a collection of all the stories that were written throughout the season and put on the Footy Almanac website. And one woman who wrote the forward for this book is a former VWFL footballer. She represented the state numerous times, and now she's a comedian and a writer. We've got on the line the very talented Bobby McCumber. Bobby, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. You made me sound pretty good back then, didn't you? <laughs> Mate, you are a superstar. Let's just quickly, before we talk about this great new book, The Women's Footy Almanac, you yourself were a former Victorian representative. What did it mean to you to see the Big V run around on Saturday night at Docklands? Oh, it, it was awesome. I, I think just having that game being played at Etihad Stadium, I think they said there were 10,000-plus people there. It's exciting. It's on TV. I mean, the games that we had, we probably had about five or six people on the, on the sidelines sitting on an esky kind of yelling abuse at us. So it was a good change. <laughs> <laughs> and just quietly, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Victorians dominant again with a 97-point win. 
Yeah, I know. I, I think that took a lot of people by shock, to be honest with you, especially with um, Queensland, uh, Brisbane and Adelaide playing in the AFLW Grand Final. I thought it would be a lot closer than that, but it was it was like old times, back about 10, 20 years ago when Victoria used to absolutely dominate in the national championships. It was good to watch. It's a bit of a scary, scary stat, isn't it, when any time a Victorian side has had Debbie Lee involved on or off the field, they've never been beaten. And the only time they have been beaten is because she couldn't make the flight over to Perth because she was pregnant at the time. <laughs> so Debbie Lee is a lucky charm. Well, there you go. She'll be happy to hear that too. Breaking rights for her. <laughs> now, of course, uh, this great book, The Women's 40 Almanac, before we mention your forward in this book, we need to point out you're not just like a random comedian who's just written a piece. You were a star in your own right in the VWFL. Can you tell us a little about your history when you first kicked off playing for the Spurs? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know about a superstar. I did certainly play um, a fair bit of football. Uh, I played for the Spurs for about uh, 15 or 16 years. Um, on and off, I, I was overseas a little bit and also had a couple of knee reconstructions in there as well. So had a few seasons off, but um, represented the Big V uh, four times uh, and we were playing biannual there as well. So, And at, when we first started playing, I had to pay our own way as well. So that's, I guess, my involvement in, in playing. Absolutely loved it. Uh, playing for the Big V. I think I was 18 when I first played and we played in Canberra. Um, yeah, and then I uh, was working overseas in uh, in sports, in cricket actually, when I come back um, to Melbourne. There was a position vacant with the Victorian Women's Football League as the uh, full-time operations manager. So applied for that, got that, and yeah, was working in footy for a couple of years after that as well. You were at the coalface working with the VWFL. Could you imagine when you first started doing that full-time position that would be at where we are now? Nah, I, I, I honestly can say, I, I mean, there's people that stalled, of, and we've spoken about Debbie Lee and just the people that were on the committee like Lisa Caddo, uh, Anne Rilton. These people have just put so much of their time and effort and life into women's footy. And I remember Debbie, you know, pushing for the exhibition matches and saying, you know, one day she wanted AFL teams to have both male and female. And, and it, when she said it to me initially, I thought, you know, you're dreaming. I mean, it's a, it's a great pipe dream, but I honestly didn't think I would see it in my lifetime. Um, but to see where it's come now and, and all the AFL clubs vying to have their own women's team, it is, it, it's awesome. It's just so beautiful to watch all these young girls being able to go into Auskick, youth girls, have their pathways all the way up to AFLW. And yeah, I, I, you know, obviously AFL have jumped on board with this AFLW and it's just exploded. We, The Spurs last year, we had uh, two teams and, and this year we've just doubled in size. And I think that's the same for a lot of the premier clubs. They've just expanded. Everyone wants to play, which is fantastic. For you as a woman who's played football for the best part of a decade and a half, when did it truly hit you of, oh my God, this is actually happening. We're here on the national stage. Last year, um, when they when they put forward, when Gil McLaughlin put forward AFLW, because um, I think it was supposed to be 2020 to start with, and then it was 2017, uh, we had, had the draft. I think the draft was a really uh, surreal moment as well. Just I, I was at work and I was live streaming it, minimising it so I didn't get in trouble. Um, but watching it, that was exciting, seeing the AFL the girls getting the AFL jerseys. Um, and, uh, I mean, nothing was more surreal than the start of the AFLW season this year, just having a lockout at Icon Park. And, yeah, yeah, I, there's so many moments where it kind of, you know, really hit. But I think just the opening, the opening round, sellout, lockout, thousands of people missing out. It was just such a momentous occasion, not only for women's football, women in sport, and just Australian history, to be honest. I think everyone wanted to be a part of it. Spoiler alert for everyone, I'm about to mention a bit of the forward that Bobby has written in this great book, The Women's Footy <laughs> Almanac. You actually weren't there at Icon Park. What's the story behind that? Oh, no. I, so, um, as you mentioned, I, I'm a comedian and I was booking a show that I was performing with a few friends. Uh, we toured around Australia and it was our Melbourne shows that I had to lock in six months in advance. And I'd locked in the Friday of the first game. Of course, I didn't realise this until three months after I'd booked it and we weren't able to get any other time. So I, I was devastated, to be honest with you, because I know it was such a momentous time in oh, women in small, women's football, everything. So I missed it. Uh, I got a heap of text messages from people telling me they weren't coming to the game because uh, – weren't coming to my show, sorry, because they were all going to the game. And 
I was uh, I was actually thinking about missing the show myself and <laughs> going to the game because, yeah, it was uh, it, it was devastating to be honest with you, Peter. What was your initial feeling when you finally got to watch back, at least on replay, that first ever match? Oh, um, so that night after my show, I actually I come home and I was recording the game. Thankfully, all the games were. Um, on television. So, um, yeah, I come home and I, I reckon it was about one o'clock in the morning and then I just rewatched the whole game. And then the, the next day I watched it again. I, I just watched it on the news. So it, it was still that night or the early the next morning um, and then the next day again. And and then because I know the Western Bulldogs were playing that night uh, at Witten Oval and I, I'm also involved in cricket as well. And I've got a couple of girls from my cricket team that were playing in that team as well as girls from the Spurs that were playing. But once again, I had to miss it and go and perform at my show. So it was uh, it, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was so wonderful. How does it feel for you personally, being a footballer, and there's and as many like you that missed out for by about say five years, that you were so close but yet so far away from being able to enjoy the luxury that these girls have now, being semi-professional footballers. Yeah, um, I mean, surprisingly, there are actually a couple of people that uh, that I played state with that are a similar age to me that are playing in the AFLW. One of my good mates, Bree White, she's still playing and she's been signed again to play with Collingwood. Um, Meg Hutchins as well. There's there's a few of them, but uh, I, I certainly couldn't have lasted as long as they did. Um, I'm, I don't think there's any jealousy or anything like that. I honestly am just absolutely humbled and love love to you know people actually recognize that you did play you know for victoria and and just seeing for me the biggest highlight for me not seeing you know my mates my mates playing it's great for them but just seeing the young girls on the sidelines hanging over the fence signing autographs and just in awe of their heroes that honestly just melts my heart and makes me so happy to see you know we were a part of that we're not there enjoying that part at the moment but i'm enjoying it from the sidelines and it's brilliant i love it let me throw the question out there. We, of course, had the night before the AFLW Origin, we had the men's legends game. If they came up with the concept to say, look, we're going to have the women's legends match and, and you got the invite, would you pull on the boots again? Oh, geez, I'd have to uh, I'd say yes, without a doubt, and I'd like to be mic'd up because I reckon I'd be more entertaining on the mic than I would actually on the football field. I probably would hopefully not do an injury and uh, have to... Um, do a couple of fitness sessions beforehand, but <laughs> absolutely, I reckon that'll be an absolute ball. Now, Bobby, we've been talking about the Women's Footy Almanac, which we've mentioned that you've written a forward for. You've had a chance to have a look through it. What's the thing that strikes you most about the Footy Almanac? What do you enjoy reading about it? What, the, the thing I loved about it is, um, you know, I put my story forward. That was just my experience on how I felt about AFLW and it wasn't until I read, I was fortunate enough to launch the book um, at the official launch, um, so I read the book prior, and there are so many different stories. I think there's 40 different writers, and you see perspective of what it meant to them through so many different eyes, and that, for me, like, that was huge. I didn't think of it from anyone else's perspective before I'd read that book. I just you know, knew what mine was and a couple of friends, but... It was just really lovely and humbling just to hear even fathers talking about now them taking their daughters to Auskick and them taking them to watch the AFLW games. Um, there's some great stories just from different people, not not just past players, but partners, friends, people that weren't even involved in football, and they tuned in to watch this just because it was such a historic moment. So it's, it, I think it's great. I actually got to relive the moment over and over again through different people's eyes reading through the footy almanac, which was great. Indeed, it is a fantastic book. It's available in stores now. The Women's Footy Almanac 2017. Make sure you get your hands on a copy. It's edited by Stephanie uh, Connell, John Harms and Yvette Warby. Uh, just before I let you go, um, as we mentioned, the AFLW has come along. It's a bit of a changing of the guard, isn't it? That as the AFLW started, your old competition has closed, the VWFL, and it, and it appears maybe soon that the old VWFL clubs won't be playing in the state league as things change and the AFL clubs come into that as well. Is there a little bit of sadness in that, that I, I guess one door is closing while another's opening? Yeah, I definitely think there is. There's going to be a lot of sadness, but there also oh, there were always going to be changes um, with AFLW coming in. And I guess if the VFL, with the women's VFL teams aligning more so with AFL or VFL clubs as well, I think one of the most important things is that we do keep the history and 
things like the um, Helen Lambert medal, which has always been for the best player, which was uh, in the VWFL. I know they kept the name for the VFL um, um, best player as well. So just hoping that they keep some of the historic things with football, which great AFLW started in 2017, but women's football started a lot long before that. And we just want to make sure we, we cherish and, uh, and um, respect all of those winners as well. Indeed. Bobby, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. All the very best on the comedy circuit and fingers crossed that maybe that Legends game comes around and you're able to pull on the boots one more time. <laughs> That'd be a bit of fun. Thanks, Peter. In Sydney this Sunday at 2pm, Blacktown International Sports Park, it is the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final and it'll be between the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays and the Sydney University Bombers. And I've got on the line to preview that Grand Final from the Stingrays, Nicola Vereshnes. Nicola, how are you? Well, thank you, Peter. How are you going? Not too bad at all. How are the nerves feeling as we're days out from the AFL Sydney Premier Division Grand Final? Um, I'm feeling really confident, really, really, really looking forward to the contest on the weekend. Um, we watched our opponent, the Sydney Uni Bombers, play on the weekend. Um, it's just gone and... Um, yeah, we're feeling really prepped. We had a great training session tonight and nice unified feeling amongst the girls. So, yeah, bring it on. Excellent to hear. Let's go back a couple of weeks, though. You last took on the Bombers uh, in the major semi-final, and you got the better of them that day, 43-25. to How did you feel that game went? Because on the scoreboard, you had a dominant start. In fact, you only held them the one goal six for the first three terms. Yeah, um... Look, we we really played like a team um, that, uh, that that morning, and we haven't played like that in a, in a number of weeks. So there was a really good change, the feeling in the change rooms from the start um, of the day, and we took it into the game. And um, yeah, we we held them pretty scoreless until I guess early in the fourth quarter when we um, took the foot off the accelerator a bit, let them back in. But um, no, nah, it was a it was a really great morning for us and. Yeah, we, we, we did well. We look forward to taking that feeling into Saturday or Sunday this week. And the good news is you've got uh, plenty of players in form as well. Uh, Nielsen named in the best. Also, uh, you GWS stars such as in Maddie Collier, Beck Beeson getting on the scoreboard. Uh, your captain and still also getting two goals as well. So everyone seems to be hitting the straps at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got an amazing, talented um, bunch of girls and... Um, they all brought it last last weekend, so um, yeah, I have full confidence that they'll do it again, and and we look forward to to the skills that will be on display. A lot of focus, of course, is on the upcoming and young talent. For you, who's been some of the newest stars for the Stingray side this year that have really lifted and uh, obviously helped to try and uh, help you get to the back to back premierships? Um, well, obviously, uh, we're very lucky to have um, uh, Cinder and Beck and Maddie from the Giants um, come back, come back in and share their skills and their knowledge. Um, but we've had another couple of young girls. Jasmine Smith has been awesome um, playing in ruck and spending some time in centre half back and centre half forward. Um, Phoebe Monaghan's another one that's come up from Victoria and um, really found her straps this year and has been a huge contributor to the team. Um, yeah, I think they've probably been the standout. Ingrid Nelson also is an amazing ruck and, and mover of the ball too with a good set of hands. So she's she's been, she's been great, solid all year. So, yeah, they're probably the standout this year. You may have watched the uh, Bombers over the weekend, their preliminary final get over Macquarie University. What did you see out of that game? What do you think you can take out of it that you know that you've got to stop on the weekend to claim the premiership? Um, I think they're really skillful with their hands. Uh, they've got a strong handball game and they move the ball quickly. Um, so we've just got to be, make sure we're accountable, especially behind the, the pack. Um, uh, and if we block off their uh, key ball winner up front, Rachel Stack, um, Phoebe did a great job on her in a couple of games that we've played this year and including last weekend. So if we can stop her from getting her hands um, cleanly on the footy, um, we definitely have a, have a good, I guess, a good chance at 
getting the ball back in our hands and up our end of the field, I'd say. Um, so, so accountability on our players, strong um, strong around the contest. And, yeah, if we can just shut Rachel down, that would put us in good stead. They've got plenty of other well-known names of the Bombers, Jen Liu being one of them, Steph Walker. Of course, a couple of giants as well in Nicola Barr and Ali Brush. Who, who do you see as the biggest threat from the Bombers that you will have to stop on the weekend? Look, I think um, obviously Nick Barr has a beautiful running game and she's quick in the first couple of steps so she gets away from a player. If we can just um, keep close to her and limit her uh, space with the footy, um, that's a big win for us. Uh, the, the match-up on Jen Lou with our player, um, Sarah Croppiano, last last weekend was just sensational. Sarah did such a good job, strong body, um, and really took Jen took Jen's power and her running game out. So, um, yeah, I think in answer to your question, I'd, uh, probably um, the combination of those three players um, – if we can just keep them quiet, as any team would, would like to, that would be the goal. But, yeah, the combo, of they're, they're all very different. And if we get our matchups right, we'll, yeah, keep them quiet and keep the ball in our hands and down our end. It's a very different psychology and feel coming into this grand final. Last year, you were the challengers trying to take home the flag, which you did so. Now you're the defenders. You're trying to go back to back. Is there a different feel about the warm-up leading into the weekend? The different, the key difference that I've noticed over the last fortnight is the confidence. Um, I think last year we, a number of us had suffered a few losses in a grand final and preliminary final, and there was just that question mark over whether we could actually follow through um, and and take the cup home. So very different this year. It's we've got a real sense of yeah confidence and. Um, we know we can beat them. We know how to beat them. Um, and um, that's clear in the way that we approach training and approached each other, the relationships in the team over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, that's, that's the key difference between the approach last year and this year, I'd say. And Nicola, of course, just quickly, uh, the AFLW draft has opened for the 2018 season. Out of these stingrays that have yet to be taken by the Giants, who do you think will throw their hat in the ring? And you never know, might be a chance of being uh, picked up come mid-October. Oh, look, I think um, Phoebe Monaghan's definitely put her hand up strongly over the over this season. She's a, got a beautiful kick, beautiful set of hands, and has a real eye for the game. Um, Jasmine Smith's also very versatile, um, can ruck and can play a marking forward as well. Um, yeah, we've got we've got a lot of strong strong perform, performers. Obviously, Sarah Coppiano is a bit older, as is Roxy McGee. Um, B Pride's gone into the draft as a rookie, um, and she is a sensational um, key forward. So she should have a good crack at it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's. They're, they're, they're probably my five top top tips from from the from East going into the draft 2018 2017 yeah. Well, Nicola, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best when you take on the Sydney Uni Bombers in this weekend's AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final. Thanks so much, Peter. And just a quick note, we did reach out to the Sydney University Bombers uh, late on Tuesday afternoon to see if we could get one of their players for an interview. Unfortunately, they didn't get back to us in time before we had to put this program together. Now let's get an independent point of view of who is going to win this grand final. And I've got on the line our weekly reporter from Sydney. It's great to have Lauren Hodgson here at the big end of the season. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, really well, thanks, Peter. How are you uh, after the weekend of of uh, AFLW State of Origin in Victoria. It would have been a pretty busy weekend of football. It was indeed. Everyone was excited about it. The Big V won not only one but two games, winning the under-18s and winning the uh, seniors as well. So just re-emphasising that I do live in this great state of Victoria. Now it's a great weekend of football. Indeed it was, and plenty of stars, plenty of highlights, but all the stars are going to be in Sydney this weekend for the Premier Division Grand Final. Let's find out how they got there, these two sides. Uh, we know that the Stingrays won the major semi-final. It sent the Bombers into the preliminary final against Macquarie University. How did that pan out? 
Yeah, look, I, I tipped the, the Mac Uni Warriors. Um, you know, they've had a really strong second half of the season um, and, look, nothing to take away from Sydney Uni Bombers who'd only lost one game. But I just thought the, the Warriors were on a bit of a roll. But, uh, look, the Bombers proved me wrong. Uh, they had a, a really strong game uh, right across all four quarters. And the final scores ended up being 10-7-67 to the Bombers and 3-1-19 to the Uni. Uh, so, as I said, Bombers were, were fairly consistent across all four quarters, starting with a... Um, a three goal to none uh, first term. Even at half time, that held the Warriors scoreless and were up by uh, 32 points. So it was always going to be tough for the Warriors to get back after that. Uh, look, Rachel Stack was again strong up forward as she has been all season for the Bombers, uh, kicking a couple of goals for herself, as did Steph Walker. Um, and Amber Laven uh, for the Bombers. They also got a couple, uh, whilst Mackie and his goal kickers all came from individuals. Uh, it was the usual suspects for best players from both teams, uh, Nicola Barr being the best for uh, best on ground for Sydney Uni Bombers, and uh, Amanda Ferugia was best on ground for the for the Warriors. So uh, obviously a bit of a disappointing end to the season for the Warriors. Um, but, you know, I think they uh, would have been pleased overall with their season and um, we'll be looking to springboard that uh, into, uh, you know, a, another tilt at the Premiership in 2018. So this Sunday, 10th of September, 2pm at Blackdown International Sports Park, the reigning premiers, the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays, play host to the Sydney University Bombers. Who's going to take it out? Look, I think it's going to be a really close game. Obviously, these sides... Um, you know, played each other uh, once during the home and away season and it was one apiece. Uh, and then they, obviously, Stingrays won in the first week of finals. Uh, look, I think the Stingrays will, will take out the premiership with the win. Um, however, I think it's going to be a really close game uh, and I think it will be decided by less than 10 points. Um, but it's going to be a really great contest and, uh, you know, a, a great show of women's football in Sydney, Peter. And hopefully a good crowd getting along to it as well. Who's some of the stars that you think will perform on the day for both sides for either of them to win? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, we just mentioned some of the, the Sydney Uni Bombers players there before in the review of, of their prelude final. So I think Rachel Stack and uh, Steph Walker, um, the Stingrays, would be wanting to keep them quiet up forward. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, uh, the Stingrays, uh, you know, uh, Giants listed player and forward Rebecca Beeson, I think he's going to be a real, real key and, and capable of, of kicking a few goals. But both teams are, I think, you know, they've got really good players all across the park. So, um, you know, it, it's just going to, to add to the contest. And uh, I think, as I said, it'll be a close one, but uh, the Stingrays to, to take it out. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to catching up with you next week for the review of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter. Last Sunday at LD Arena in Adelaide, it was the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 Grand Final. One woman that was there watching it all is from the Two Crows podcast, our regular reporter in Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? Absolutely wonderful there, Peter. Could not be better on a freezing night than it is. Well, before we talk about the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 Grand Final, the day before it, of course, was at Eddie Had oh. Stadium, the senior women's uh, you breaking up there, Peter? state of origin I, I game. Can't, I can't, can't quite hit Victoria <laughs> versus the Allies. Now, for, for, for the last 20 years, the number 97 might have to do with the Adelaide Crows winning a flag, but now the number 97 yeah. will do with the margin that the Victorians beat every other state by. Oh, uh, yeah, with the Victorian versus the rest of the world. You just, you just can't move past it. Really, can you, Pete? You can't. No, it was an absolutely fabulous win um, to the Vicks. I will give you all credit for that. Um, they absolutely uh, mopped the floor, the car park, and the main streets, I think, with the Allies on Saturday night, uh, which wasn't helped at all with the injuries to poor uh, Emma Zilke with that ribs and a uh, punctured lung. Um, and then Chelsea Randall going down with a court coordinator chat to her on, on Sunday and uh, actually asked her about it because I thought it was the way she hurt herself, to be honest, that she'd done a knee or 
Because I've seen Chelsea get smashed many times and she's never come up looking in pain as she did that night. But she said she uh, went down, don't know what happened, and she went to get up to walk and the leg just wouldn't work and she said she'd never felt pain like that before. And, um, yeah, she said she had plenty of corkies before but nothing like that. And then, of course, Kirby Bentley went down. So when you're losing three players like that, and then on top of that, um, you had Taylor Harris with her proper leg. Mind you, the ball wasn't really getting down there too much, but would those, if all those players played uninjured, would it have affected the end result? No, uh, not at all. Uh, the Vicks were totally on the game. You can see who's currently playing and who's not. And um, I think just the result would have been a lot closer. That's about it. And uh, if- I'm still not keen on Still not keen on that Guernsey, though. Oh, exactly. And I think a few, pe- a few people have pointed out, how can you get passionate about that orange jumper? Well, it looked like a, if uh, Frio and the Giants had a love child, that's sort of what that Guernsey would look like. And, yeah, there was, from coming from SA with us, that Cousin, there was nothing there. But in saying that, I don't think it would have mattered on the day. To be really fair, what Guernsey they wore, um, or the result would have been the same. As much as I'd like to believe otherwise. Probably the orange represented the colour of witches' hats for training because uh, yeah. it was a training session <laughs> for the Victorians. It, it, no, it, it, I'll be honest, at the end of the day, yes, it, it looked pretty much like that. And I was going to go somewhere else with that orange, but I won't. I'll leave that alone. Well, continuing on, the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 Grand Final <laughs> was played on Sunday between Adelaide, Adelaide University and Salisbury. Yes. The Salisbury Magpies missing yes. a, a stack of stars, as we said, that were playing yes. in that uh, game against Victoria. And unfortunately, that showed on the scoreboard 19-13, oh. 127-139. I haven't seen a Grand yes. Final whelping like that in a long, long time. No, I mean, uh, it was always going to be a hard task for Salisbury. Um, Adelaide Uni not dropping a single game all year and being a very well-oiled machine coach there by Chrissy Steen. Uh, but of course, for Salisbury, they, they lost uh, the likes of Randall, uh, their Seginary, uh, even Jess Allen because they're under 18 duties, so she had their key ruckman. And then just to make matters even worse, during the warm-up, Captain um, Gunny, she, she uh, dropped out. She, she couldn't pull up for the game. So they lost key players across the board for them. Um, and as much as that score is horrendous, it was actually a great game to watch, whether it was just the skill level of Adelaide Uni players or the tenacity of Salisbury. Salisbury did not give up. Um, and I will give them and their coach Richard all props for that because they did manage, with the wind going against them, they managed to keep Adelaide Uni to three goals um, for the third quarter, considering Adelaide Uni were already 10 goals up. So, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the best for Salisbury would have been Nicole Baker, Ash Woodland, who was the person, she's the leading goal scorer and she's the one that actually slotted their only goal. Sarah Chalky-Allen, so they did have one AFLW player in there and she shared rough duties with Jimmy Solomon. Uh, and Sophie Hall and Danny Woods, who's a 17-year-old, they all battled on uh, fabulously for Salisbury. And in all honesty, they can hold their head up high. That was the first grand final that they've played in. And um, I think once Richard gets... He said to me, he hasn't actually given them a pre-season yet. So I think he's actually looking forward to that. Uh, I'm really keen to see where Salisbury will be next year. But getting on to um, Adelaide Uni, who were absolutely phenomenal all over the ground, they, um, Courtney Gum, who's been their prolific midfielder all year, actually had really bad flu and rolled her ankle on the Friday before the game. So they slotted her up forward. And uh, she kicked a lazy seven goals, one with six goal assists. Just to, uh, that's an amazing effort coming through like that. And especially from being injured. Um, best on ground medalist, uh, young Ruth Wallace. She kicked three goals, including the first one of the game. She was put on the ball. If she wasn't setting up chains and goal assists, she was throwing herself across the ball for smothers. So she had an absolutely fabulous, well-rounded game. Uh, Tate Mackerel, who worked her way back from uh, doing her collarbone early in the year, she worked her way into the game after a reasonably quiet first quarter, but then she was extremely dominant and skillful in the midfield. Um, and some of the turn and moves there by Tate were wonderful. 
Sophie Lee, I know you've heard me mention this name plenty of times throughout the season. She is just a joy and a pleasure to watch with such speed and agility and probably one of the most naturally gifted footballers that you can see with ball in hand. So she's just a joy to watch. And Nicole's um, Anne Hatchard, she was into everything. They were getting the ball out of uh, Rutkum's Anastasiewicz and she was palming the ball out and getting it down to the likes of Hatchie, Mackerel, um, and uh, where are we here? Uh, and Ruth even had a trot through the mid there as well. So Christy Steen should be absolutely proud of her charges, and I know they absolutely had a ball. Uh, the goal kickers there, and like you mentioned, there were 19 goals kicked in total. Courtney done with her seven. Um, Stacey Richardson kicked three. Ruth Wallace with three, uh, Christy Harvey, uh, Collie, Zasevich, Baltrop, Fenton and Lee all chimed in there with a goal. And they were desperate to get their captain, Julie Power, a goal. Um, and the goal she did score was about one second after the final firing. So they did their best to get her into it there. But um, it came just at the end. But she still got on the board there. So uh, the weather held out, pardon me, held out, which was supposed to be a very wet and rainy day. But... As I said, very one-sided, but unless you're sitting on the Salisbury side, I suppose, it was actually a really good game to watch. And Adelaide University, our congratulations go to them on taking out the, uh, what was the former South Australian Women's Football League, now known as Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1, taking out that first ever yes, premiership. Uh, talking about uh, SA Women's Footy as well, just before I let you go, Ali, uh, we know there's now mm-hmm. going to be a 16 Sandfall Women's Competition uh, coming around summer, autumn next year. And they've also announced $20,000 prize money on the line. Oh, fantastic. Well, I know they've introduced, I believe it's Sturt and South will be the additional two teams. Um, and hopefully they'll be announcing the coach of them. But twenty grand on the line, I think they should give a little bit of motivation in there as well, which is fabulous to see that get put up for the competition as prize money. Indeed, and fantastic to see the Sample women's growing as well. Ali, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you a little bit closer to draft time for some of your thoughts and some of the South Australian footballers that may be picked up by the Crows or even Interstate uh, to play AFLW. Excellent. Thank you very much for having Peter, and really looking forward to the draft. Also, over the weekend, it was the UNSW Canberra Women's League Grand Final and it was taken out by the Quimbian Tigers. They defeated the Gungahlin Jets for the flag, 6-3-39 to 3-6-24. Congratulations to all those at the Tigers. The final round of the home and away season was played in the Tasmanian State League women's competition. Glenorchy 4-6-30 going down to Launceston, 5-5-35. The Tigers 2-2-14 defeated by Bernie Their semi-finals are this weekend and both games being played on Sunday at 12pm at Gelston Bay Oval. Clarence host Launceston while at 1pm at KGV Glenorchy host Burnie. Let's turn our focus now to the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. After a week off because of AFLW origin, we are back with finals football. A double header at Parada Park. That's Coburg City Oval in Coburg. 11 a.m. Melbourne University versus St Kilda. 1 p.m. Darabin versus Diamond Creek. And I've got on the line our lead caller here at RSN Carnival in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Uh, all rested up, ready for a big weekend of finals footy, Pete. Jeez, uh, as we've said a couple of times throughout the season, uh, the top four sides, whilst a lot of changes going on in women's football, somehow top four sides have remained the same, uh, or at least three of them anyway, considering the, the Devils have dropped out and Diamond Creek are back in. But uh, it's the old foes in the, the VFL with, uh, finals this weekend. Well, before we have a look at the top four sides and who's battling who in the semi-finals this Sunday, let's have a look at the sides that did miss out. We'll start from the bottom, and it's a bit ironic. Uh, like last year, the bottom two teams, Knox and North Geelong, were replaced in the VFL competition uh, by Geelong and Box Hill, respectively, taking over their licences. We can confirm that definitely the bottom two this year, Seaford and Cranbourne, won't be around next year. We, we start with Seaford and uh, not awaited for them to go out, finishing last without a win. Yeah, real disappointment for, for them. We know that they had injury difficulties throughout the season. We're, we're missing a lot of experienced players in that side, but 
Still would have thought they would have given a little more than what they did. Not only were they beaten, they were beaten comprehensively week in, week out. Um, I think when we saw them early in the season against uh, the Eastern Devils, I think I was at that game, um, they just couldn't, they broke down every time they went inside attacking 50. They just, for one reason or another, couldn't uh, get a mark up forward and they were unable to penetrate the goals. And that was looking at the score lines across the year that, that was really what let them down and it's disappointing because we talk so much towards the end of 2016 how this was one of the promising sides of the competition the fact that there was so much depth the fact that the region was strong in terms of uh, youth girls coming through this was a side that was on the up Probably door knocking on finals was the expectation coming into 2017, but unfortunately for them, they just couldn't live up to it. And as the season progressed, um, it just got worse and worse. And as you say, they go out of VFL Women's, the the state league competition, without a a win uh, in their final season, which is disappointing, uh, but uh, no doubt they'll go back to the the community level and, and hopefully regain some of the success that they've seen in past years. And indeed, echoing your thoughts, I, I certainly had them up the top of the, uh, not the top of the table, but around the middle where St Kilda, Spurs, where I thought they were going to be in the mix, Seaford, and yeah, very disappointing for them to finish on the bottom without a win. Cranbourne, uh, roughly like they were last year, I think they had about four wins, if I'm correct, uh, in season uh, 2016. This year, with three wins, again, they're one of the sides that had a few injury concerns and that kind of hampered their season, which saw them finish second last. Yeah, and one where I don't think, similar to Seaford, they've got one or two players that are recognisable and played AFLW, but uh, beyond that, they haven't got the leadership and experience of some of those other sides of the competition that can cover when those players are being managed. And I just, when those players went out, the, the depth for Cranbourne uh, just wasn't there and, and coming up against other stronger outfits of the competition, they really did struggle. I did get three wins on the board, as, as you said, but I, I think it would be a, a disappointment for them that they bow out the way that they do. I think they... They were probably a step behind Seaford at the end of last year. You could see that things were improving. You could see that if it was going in the right direction, that they would be more competitive in 2017. But unfortunately, uh, through various circumstances, they were unable to do that. We know that uh, that licence is now being taken over by the Casey Demons, what that looks like in terms of the list, we're not so sure, considering the, the links with Melbourne, and it will, that'll be a watch this space type uh, thing over the next couple of months. But uh, at least we know that um, Cranbourne is still going to act as a, a feeder into the Casey Demons, which I think is important going forward for women's footy. The Box Hill Hawks finished 83 wins and 11 losses, and I'd say it's a respectable finish, particularly after the first game of the year when they were absolutely smashed by Geelong. They didn't get a goal, and everyone thought, oh dear, is this just knocks continuing on? Since then, besides just the three wins, there was a couple of occasions where they really pushed some quality opposition. They pushed Diamond Creek, they pushed Darwin for a bit, and they even pushed Melbourne Uni. So... If things went the right way, maybe finish a spot higher, but certainly they'd be happy to walk away with 3-11. and 11. Certainly would. After the first month of footy where I think everyone had just about written them off that they were going to get flogged by nearly a 100-point margin week in, week out, you, you thought, oh, geez, this is going to be another long season. For me, they're the most improved side of the competition. I know Diamond Creek have rebounded after a poor 2016, but... For me, Box Hill, from where they started, and I think you've got to go a step back to um, to the fact that the club uh, took over the old Knox licence, the fact that they've only got one AFLW player on the list in Melissa Kyes, um, to me, says that the way they have developed the players on that list is has been phenomenal. Um, throughout the course of 2017. And as I said before, I think they're not only a good news story, but they're certainly the most improved side of 2017. What holds for them next season? Not too sure. I think they'll certainly be more competitive 
hopefully they can pick up a, a few more recruits from uh, from around the area uh, and bring in a little more experience to the side. I'll probably be pushing for maybe mid-table. I wouldn't think they'd be knocking on the door for finals just yet, considering that they still have a bit of uh, development to do with the bottom end of the list. But um, definitely signs are looking positive for the Box Hill Hawks, which is, uh, well, it's a lot better than what it was looking like about a month and a half into the season. I think the side that certainly had the most disappointing year was the Eastern Devils. They were fourth last year, this year finishing seventh, five wins and nine losses. Coxie, their season could have been so, so different. That first game at home where they lost to St Kilda by a point, they led in the final quarter against Darabin, lost that one. They were leading by nearly four goals at halftime against the Spurs and got done there. You flip around a few of those results, maybe considering the injuries, they may have fell short of the four, but it certainly should have been a better win-loss record than five and nine. Yeah, when you reflect back on that first couple of months um, for the Eastern Devils, it just goes to show how quickly a season can can turn for them. Um, and my personal opinion is that month of footy that you uh, just reflected on there broke broke the back, and I don't think they were able to recover. Then I think their confidence was shot. Um, they somehow knew that they couldn't. Uh, Get or run out games, and, and considering where they were again, similar to Seaford and Cranbourne, they were they were the side that was looking on the up, and they were probably had the most positivity coming into 2017. Considering they were a challenger last year, everyone thought they were certainly going to be up there or, or thereabouts again in 2017. But they. Um, they let themselves down with that first month of footy and then the management aspect of the AFLW players and the injuries took their toll on the club, which um, certainly didn't help. It was weird scenes calling that game uh, nearly two weeks ago out at Mulgrave Reserve and you just wonder whether the Devils will be back in the VFL women's competition in 2018, um, considering the, the emotion that was flying. Uh, around the club rooms and on the ground after the game, I doubt it, uh, which is sad because they're one of the uh, the better clubs, certainly from a social perspective. They're a, they're a real, they're a genuine football club. Um, so hopefully they get another gig next year. That's a, another watch this space. But um, definitely if, if they do, uh, they're going to need to find uh, some way to get on top of that mental blocker that I think broke their back earlier in the year. The side that finished sixth, I actually tipped to finish fourth and they fell about three games shy of that. Uh, I, I guess you put it down to, again, a few injuries and they kind of faded out in the second half of the season was the VU Western Spurs. A lot of promise, but maybe one or two really good star players shy of being a genuine crack at the top four. Seven wins, seven losses. I'm still giving them a tick for 2017. I know that they were up there. I think they were on top of the ladder early on in the season um, and really pushing as if they'd really taken that or well, quite a giant step forward. But I think considering where the club has come from um, over the last 24 months, um, it's great that they were able to get an even ledger in terms of uh, the win-loss ratio in 2017. So that's a, a positive for the club. But as you said, I think they just ran out of gas um, towards the back half of the year when we called them against Geelong and, and the St Kilda Sharks. Um, about a month ago now, they just they just looked tired. Um, they tried to be competitive. They were probably competitive in those games for a quarter, and then just faded out. And it looks like that's what happened in the final round against Darabin as well, which is disappointing. It's not the way that you'd want to finish the season off. But uh, as I said before, I still think it's a as a it's a positive year considering the players that are on that list got another year of development under their belt. So uh, still giving the tick of approval for the Spurs. Could have finished a little bit high, higher, but they should be happy with how they went in 2017. Talking about tick of approval, we may have to give high honours to the Geelong Cats and their coach Paul Hood, finishing the season at eight and six. Maybe should have been nine and five, but they were unlucky to run in against the Eastern Devils who are having a very emotional day at Mulgrave Reserve that saw them uh, fade out in the second half. But uh, if you'd asked me, Geelong, 
would be that high on the ladder, I'd say you'd be kidding because considering they used a North Geelong base with just a sprinkling of a few other players, I reckon they would have been happy to walk away from the season with maybe four, maybe five wins and just to fall short of the finals. I reckon Paul Hood's not only done enough to get him a renewal on the contract for next year, but maybe an <laughs> AFLW coaching gig should they get the licence for 2019. Yeah, I was going to say, the Geelong Footy Club need to lock him away on a long-term contract, not just a one-year contract to give him what he's done, not only on the field for um, the, the VFL women's side, but for women's football in general in the Geelong region. We've heard various stories when we've broadcast games of how he's gone out to some of the local clubs in the area, North Geelong, the obvious one, but there's a couple of others as well that he's visited and, and helping not only develop the talent there, but develop the coaching as well. And it just it brings a smile to my face watching how the Cats operate. Um, the, the way that they've approached this season, as you say, they, they, they built on a list that had some good players. They were, they were solid players, but they weren't great players. And, I think the AFLW came at a good time for those players on an individual point of view. Lily Mithin, Matty Boyd, Rochelle Cranston, uh, to name a couple of them. But the way that they've been able to develop the local talent and, and some other players that they've brought in from other sports has been phenomenal. And then not only to, to do that and, and develop the list the way they did, but as you said before, be competitive and be a contender. They were on top of the ladder after the first three rounds of the season. They were blitzing the competition, smashing sides, which definitely wasn't expected coming into the year. They were competitive against the, the top sides of the competition and you just thought if they snuck into the, the top four, maybe, just maybe they could cause a boil over or two. But uh, I think that storyline was a bit too romantic romantic for uh, this football season. Great result for Geelong Football Club. No doubt they'll they'll be up there next season if uh, they continue to progress the way that they were towards the back half of the year. So let's have a look at the top four and the sides that made it. First of all, we begin with the minor semi-final. We'll be live on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. Pre-game at 10 o'clock. First bounce at 11 a.m., Melbourne, Uni and St Kilda, these two sides have met in quite a number of elimination finals. They certainly have. Uh, last year's prelim final, I think they met in, and it was about a 30 or 40 point margin on that occasion to the Muggers to get them through to the grand final. Had a, a couple of uh, close counters, or one close counter in 2017, back in round two, a five-point win to the Muggers. But then uh, the tables turned later in the year, and it was uh, 10-4-64-6-6-42, the Sharks' favour. So even split, of course, these two sides also played the first draw in VFL women's uh, just over 12 months ago. So there's a nice little rivalry between these two clubs. It's a competitive one. I'll tell you what, I think the Sharks, I know they've, they've struggled in recent years to get past this first week of finals, but I think they're a real chance. I don't think Melbourne Uni are steady on their feet by any means. I know they've had a good couple of games to finish off the year, but um, I think that loss last time out against Diamond Creek might just dent them a little bit, and I think the Sharks have had a good run of form coming into this weekend, so my tips with the Sharks, which I can't believe I'm saying, considering I thought coming into the year, the Muggers were going to be the flag favourites, but um, yeah. I'll give one thing to the Sharks, though. Jasmine Garner has been on fire in recent weeks and uh, kicking goal after goal. In fact, making a late charge for the top of the table and the goal kickers list falling short of Katie Brennan and Chloe Malloy by just four goals. Uh, I, I don't believe Taylor Harris will be playing. I think she'll be more focused on her upcoming uh, boxing match that she's got on the 23rd of September. So that won't be a surprise inclusion but I look at the side and I wonder, I wonder, they look like the same team that might be fragile between the years, like they have been in previous final campaigns. Last year, of course, when they finished second, they got absolutely murdered by Darabin in the major semi-final and then easily swept away by Melbourne Uni. In previous semi-finals, there have virtually been no-shows against Melbourne Uni in the elimination semis. I think Ali Blackburn's found some form. Emery Carney's finally starting to get her touch back again. Lawrence Sparks getting into the action. I, I just 
just feel that Melbourne Uni will be able to put on a polished performance and put away a St Kilda Shark, which I don't think they've come overcome their demons yet when it comes to finals football. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely know within the first five minutes what sort of game we're going to get, whether the muggers have got that form in them to overcome the, the mental fragility of uh, the St Kilda Sharks. I, I don't know. My, my gut's saying that I think uh, considering the way that they went out last year, considering that they also had the double chance and, and failed like they did in that finals, I reckon that the way that they've finished off the season, I know they were playing some of the, the poorer sides of the competition, but the way they finished off to me just indicates that they they do have something to prove and there, there's just something in there that I reckon is going to get them across the line. If not across the line, they'll definitely run close and I don't think it's going to be the same Sharks uh, performance in finals that we've seen in recent years. I don't think they're going to be wiped off the park. I think they'll definitely run... The muggers close, and uh, as I said before, they're, they're my tip going into this weekend. Darabin and Diamond Creek meet in the major semi-final. This will be at 1pm again at Piranha Park, Coburg City Oval, again live on RSN Carnival this Sunday. And the old rivals going to battle one more time. Darabin coming in again on red-hot form. They start the year slow. They built up. They got to the top of the table ahead of the Creekers on percentage. Darcy Vessier will be missing from the final series. That's a big out. But on the flip side, Katie Brennan has found form. Oh, has she what? There's 20 goals in the last three weeks of the competition. She's been phenomenal for the Falcons. And that's after a year where she spent probably more time up the ground on the ball, on the, on a wing, half-forward area. She hasn't really been close to goal. So to, to be able to uh, turn that around in the last couple of weeks and be that real dominant forward presence um, is a scary thought, and especially for, for Diamond Creek, which, as you say, these two sides have met each other on a, a number of occasions in the recent past. I think for Diamond Creek, um, this... Uh, they need to win this. If they are, if they are going to win this year's premiership, they need to win this game. Uh, and I know that'll that'll send them straight through to the grand final. But I just think if they lose this and still make it to the grand final, I think that gives Darabin the upper hand. Diamond Creek. The last time we saw them play Darabin at Preston City Oval, they had a good first quarter of football where they challenged Darabin. They were very attacking. They were always looking to move the footy, always looking to create something. But unfortunately, just couldn't hit up a target and put enough scoreboard pressure on the Falcons to uh, take them out of the game. We know Darabin respond when they challenge and they overran the. the Creekers uh, in that particular game a couple of weeks ago at Preston City Oval. So this is going to be interesting to see whether Diamond Creek are able to get out of that habit when they're under pressure. They just try and get a hoping kick on the boot and whether they can compose themselves, hold on to the footy and be a little more strategic with the movement or whether Darabin, as they usually do, power over the top. Um, I'm going to tip the Falcons. Uh, but as I said before, I think if the Creekers are any chance for the Premiership in 2017, they need to win this week. What's worried me for the Creekers is, did they peak about a month or so ago against Melbourne Uni the first time they played them? They, they were very, very impressive that day that we saw them. But since then, they've lost to Darabin. Again, we saw them there where they dominated that first quarter and then got ran over. Then against the St Kilda Sharks, they got home by the skin of their teeth. Melbourne Uni, despite Diamond Creek resting a number of players in that game, Melbourne Uni led at halftime in that game, and Diamond Creek had to come back. I just worry that they're flirting with form, and I don't like the look of a side that flirts with form coming into the finals. I'm just I'm wondering, even in that game at Preston City Oval, there were a few players in positions that we thought were a bit weird. Maybe Scott Gowns was just throwing the magnets around to see what else he could do with the side, knowing that when everyone's in their positions and playing 100%, that he can get a good side up and running. So I'm not sure whether maybe that was the tactic, especially towards the end of the season when they knew they had a, a top spot sewn up so that 
whether they um, could just play around a little bit to see what else they could do if they do find themselves under pressure in a finals match. Um, but I think on the other side of the coin, you, you might be right. They um, they had a very strong start to the year. They were blistering at the midway point, and then they've just they haven't been as dominant as what they were in that first bit, which um, is a little worrying, but. Um, I just don't know whether there's there's stuff happening behind the scenes that they're trying to prepare for as plans B, C, D type thing. Um, so that's my thought running through the head regarding the Crackers. The Falcons, on the other hand, um, as, as I said before, they've they basically they started the year and we thought, oh, geez, they're a chance to miss finals here. The ones all conquering Darabin, uh, how can that happen? But haven't they worked into the season well? They timed it beautifully. They managed players beautifully. Um, and they're all back fit and firing and making a big, big impact. So for me, they're probably the premiership favourites heading into the finals series. There's a couple of contenders there that will no doubt be trying to, to push for success. But um, they're the ones that they're chasing. Just very quickly on that. Darabin had a scare against, remember, trailing as well in the final quarter against St Kilda and the Eastern Devils and just got home by a goal against Melbourne Uni. If you had flipped all three of those results, they would have missed the finals. (laughs) Well, that that just goes to show that the difference in the experience of a side when we were talking before about the Eastern Devils and not being able to run games out or, or finish sides off, the other side of the coin, you've got the Darabin Falcons that have had so much success. They've got so much talent and experience in that side that they can basically do what they like and, and still end up with the win. Even when they played the Spurs uh, the first time around, they, they were not looking good that game. If, if they were playing its upside of the competition, they probably would have lost that day. But because they're so well drilled, they know what to do when they're, they're fumbling around, they, they compose themselves and they just stick to their structures, stick to the game plan and they get the result. And that's that's why they've been such a dominant side of the competition. Well, Coxie, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We look forward to catching up with you on Sunday for our live coverage of the semi-final doubleheader at Piranha Park, Coburg City Oval, right here on RSN Carnival. Yeah, make sure you've got that coffee machine going, Pete. We're going to need it. So don't forget to tune into all the action on RSN Carnival or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. Sunday morning, 10 a.m. pre-game show, 11 a.m. first bounce for the minor semi-final 1pm first bounce for the major semi-final. And just before I go, a quick reminder, you can download this program as a podcast Thursday mornings by going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Girls Play Footy or hear it live as a radio program Wednesday evenings from about 6pm here on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. It's been great having your company and it's bye for now.